Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be speaking to Linda Lambrechts, all the way from Antwerp in Belgium. Linda, thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. So Linda is the mother to two beautiful boys, age seven and five. She is a psychologist, a psychotherapist, and an aware parenting instructor. Linda says that she had been struggling with work and kids for some time, and then she discovered aware parenting, which she feels has opened up a whole new world for her with her children and her clients. She says, everything makes so much sense now, and my clients are making tremendous changes to their lives that go way deeper than before. I can be so much more myself. With my kids, I've learned that my needs matter too. The game changer for me was learning about offering loving limits to myself and my surroundings. She also is training in the Marian Method work, which she is completely in love with and feels like the Marian Method is the last missing puzzle piece that she needed. Her next big dream is to become a Marian Method mentor. So thank you so much for making time. I'm so happy to be speaking to you about all these things today. And I love to start off by asking people, how did you discover aware parenting? How did you find yourself doing this beautiful work that we're doing now in the world? Well, it was actually, if you believe in coincidences, I don't, but it was through a friend of mine when my uh, youngest son was born from, I think, day one, there was a lot of crying. With my eldest, we had like a calm time and then he started crying. But with my youngest, it was like day one crying and I felt like, oh, not this again. So I reached out to a friend who's also a psychologist and a mom and she suggested this book. I think the English title is Tears and Tantrums. Eh? In Dutch, it's uh, the Taal van Huyle. So I started reading this and yeah, it was just amazing. And I was so glad that it was like a little thin book with the chapters that I needed right now were just a couple of pages and it just changed everything. It was like, aha, uh -huh, but of course, so natural and so revolutionary. Yeah, I was just amazed. Looking back, I can see that I didn't have like the space, the spaciousness to really hold the emotions and to really listen. But I did what I could at that point. And I do believe that that made a difference. It gave me hope and it was just the beginning of everything. So it wow. actually took like a couple of years later, I think during COVID, that I really started to read all the other books and got really deep into aware parenting and started thinking like, this is the holy grail. Why does nobody know about this? Can <laughs> yeah. I trust this? Nah, this, this can't be real because nobody's doing this. If it does what it says it does, then everybody would be doing it. And then I started experimenting with my kids and I saw like, yeah, 
this just works. And I started buying books for friends and saying like, can you read this? Can we talk about this? And then I just thought like, okay, I'm just going to make an Instagram account and I'm going to start doing things with it. And yeah, well, a couple of years later, here we are. (laughs) Wow. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. And I loved how you were describing that when you're reading this book, it just is so normal and so natural and so revolutionary. And I loved your honesty as well around the fact that it does take a few years to to really understand it and to get get more of the depth of it and to really appreciate some of the layers in there. And uh, that you then get all this reassurance when you see that it's working in your children and it's actually supporting them and helping them and helping you and making life easier for everyone in the family. I'd love you to share a little bit about what what you noticed in that respect in your children in terms of knowing that to reassure you that it that it was working, that it was helpful, that it was so uh, extraordinary. Yeah, I think with both of my kids, it was different. Because my eldest was then, I think, maybe three. And he was really impulsive, hyperactive, really afraid most of the time. And I could just see all of the anger. And when we started doing like some attachment play and some release and some crying and some all of the beautiful things. And I could really see his body like starting to relax and him cooperating more and sleeping better. And I can see it still now that at times when I have the spaciousness to play and to really be present, they sleep way longer. They cooperate way better. Now with the workshop, I can feel it in in myself and in them. Like, oh, I I don't have all that spaciousness. And I can see like they're waking up early and they're, they're not like cooperating as I'm used to them. Yeah, I can see just such a difference. They're arguing more. And when I have like the, the time and the spaciousness to really be present, it's just completely different. I don't know where to start describing. They just come to me. They talk to me. They make more eye contact. I can see it in their bodies. They play more together, more. They fall asleep so much uh, more easy. With my youngest, we often see it in like, he often, he has struggled with like constipation. So I can see it with him, like when he hasn't gone to the toilet for a day or a couple of days, I I can see like, oh, something is wrong. And when we start playing, he often says like, oh, I need to go to the potty. And I know, oh, so he's releasing all of these things. So you just see so much and then. Yeah, I don't don't know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes it's just so extraordinary, isn't it? It just it's like wow, that's so amazing. And I loved how you're describing both of them so differently because whilst all of the tools of aware parenting are beneficial for all children, it's also so clear that they are unique individuals and they've all got their own their own ways, their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own struggles, their own challenges. And so it, it's so beautiful to see their, how it can support each of them in their own little journeys. And I loved how you're talking as well about bringing in that around constipation for your youngest, because so often that's such a powerful symbol of of holding in emotions and and yeah, being constricted and yeah, it's it's a really big eye opener, and that's a big challenge for parents often around toilet learning and that kind of thing. But it's such an obvious factor, isn't it? Yeah, even with my eldest, he had really 
difficult times learning to go to the toilet and not feeling it in his body. And even this year, we had times where I said like, Oof, I, I can't hold it. I didn't feel it coming up where I can now link like, oh, he wasn't all that connected with his body. So there, ah, that's like a little red flag. Something's there. And in other times, no trouble. He can hold it. He can feel it even with my youngest. So I know like, oh, sometimes they're keeping everything in. Sometimes they're not connected with their body. I can see it. And just knowing all the things or even when they wake up early, I'm like, I'm not annoyed anymore. I know, okay, this is what I need to do later. This is what I can do to help them. I'm not frustrated anymore. I just know, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I can do. And yeah, that just makes such a big difference. Just the lens through which you can look at it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you're describing that. It's such a profound difference in terms of, as you say, their, their connection to themselves as well as their connection to you and their connection to each other. It's just, yeah. yes, it makes so much difference, doesn't it? Amazing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I know that you're really, you love to talk about is around getting everybody's needs met in the family, because often when we don't understand this aware parenting, we come to parenting, like putting ourselves last, our needs are not getting met at all. There's often some resentment. There's all kinds of, of big feelings associated with that. How was that process for you? Yeah, it, it was quite difficult. And we had like a really clear t turning point for me when I, I think my uh, eldest was, yeah, I think three or maybe four, where he wasn't listening and I put him into the corner and he came out and I just it started into this this game and I had all these thoughts about him not respecting me and all the things and my needs were met and I really need some peace and quiet and you really need to stay there and blah, blah, blah. so it just got this it became this huge thing and I exploded and I saw him yeah just crumbling and just being fearful and I got this little flashback of myself and I said like oh no we are not going to repeat this. I don't want him to feel the way I felt. I don't want him to be scared and insecure and all of the things. And I just said, like, this needs to change. I need to find a way that works for him and that works for me. And I think one of the, the important moments was when listening to the podcast from Marion and Lil about mothering and guilt. That was just such an eye-opener where I really learned that I can only really be there for them, only really hold space for them if my needs are met. And I found that so difficult because at age, I don't know, 30-something, I had no clue. How was I feeling? What was I needing? What are basic needs of human beings? And remember, I'm a psychologist. I <laughs> did not know. I really didn't know. And that has been such such a journey really yeah tuning into myself how am I feeling what what's behind the feeling what need is underneath that and by really starting to read in tears and tantrums really also recognizing my own needs reading in the other books really when I can discover the needs of my children I can really discover all the needs of myself and those that weren't met and it's still a process really that's what I'm I'm still learning and getting to know. And so this year is my my year of starting to live, really live. So I'm really experiencing a lot and experimenting a lot this year. So 
and I felt a shift in myself, in my children. So I, yeah, that's been so amazing and so profound and poof, a lot. <laughs> wow, it's so beautiful. I loved how you described that because I think that's a point that we all get to many times in motherhood, that moment of being completely overwhelmed, completely exhausted, having none of our needs met, and then we explode. And then we see the impact of that on our children. And we're just like, oh, we feel so bad. It feels so horrible. It's just so not we what we want. And yet it just seems impossible. And then mm-hmm. we slowly start to discover that actually our needs matter too. And I loved what you were saying about the fact that you, as a psychologist, having done many, many years of training in, in how people work and, and how, how to support people to heal and all of those things, and yet you were completely unaware of the fact that underneath feelings is often needs and that we have needs and and how to identify what those needs might be. And that's such a common thing. I, that was my story as well, absolutely. And I had also studied psychology and I was like, needs? What? I didn't even know that there were any. And then when I started to become more aware of it and I started to explore like the needs inventory and nonviolent communication and things, I just saw how like none of those needs had been met for me as a child. And I had no awareness as an adult that that they were even something that I might want to consider meeting for myself. It's a huge process, isn't it? Having to then relearn how to do that. How have you supported yourself in that process then? How have I supported myself? I think in the beginning it was, I was so glad that I had like Marion's Instagram and that just oozed of compassion because let's be honest, that's where it all starts with a lot of compassion, something I hadn't known. Um, And then just really trying to make some time and space and, and often just trying to find some calm because the kids, they just bringing all of those emotions and, and stimuli and all of the sounds and the noises and all of the things I needed something to balance that out. I really needed some peace and quiet. So I'm really grateful doing the work that I'm doing that I can just switch around my calendar and that I had all the time that I wanted to slow down and just do nothing, look at the trees, drink some tea, lay down in the sun. But it was really difficult for me to slow down because I have this thing inside of me that always wants to or needs to move and move forward you're only valuable when you move you're only (sighs) so really the slowing down that's been been quite of a trigger actually but that was what I really needed Mm. to balance out all of the things the kids were bringing in yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a hard process. And again, how amazing that you as a psychologist were learning eventually now what compassion sounds like and how to offer that to yourself, really. And yeah, I find it so common and it was my story as well that, that this justification of, of ourselves trying to justify when we want to rest or when we need to just take time or when we need to just tend to ourselves and and so many of us as humans like our worth is so tied up in doing and and not in being and I love that 
idea. I love how you're bringing in just just slowing down, just taking time, just being out in nature, just having moments of balance. I love that word too, balance, because it's just so crucial for us. And often we just keep pushing through because we want it to be different for our children and we've discovered aware parenting and we want to listen to feelings and we want to do all the things. But if there is no balance and if we're not tending to ourselves, it's just not possible. We can't, you can't keep coercing yourself to do better. You really have to take care of yourself. So I loved how you were describing that. Thank you. What about your own like healing process as part of this journey? Because I presume as, as, as part of your training, you would have done quite a lot of therapy for yourself. And how did you notice that changing when you discovered aware parenting? Um, so indeed in my psychotherapy training we had like group sessions and we had like one-on-one sessions but I've never felt like carried in the group sessions we shared a lot but we really didn't get what we needed there as well and in therapy sessions I often felt like I was uh, just talking and talking and talking and it was really difficult to get to those feelings so when I, I think it was in the Aware Parenting Mentoring course that I first really got to receive like the compassion and the listening space and just uh, feeling connected and, and feeling understood. I think that was really important, just knowing that I don't have to explain this to other people. They get it. We're like, yeah, in this community and... I think that is when it really started shifting that I found the right people around me to surround me, to support me, where I feel like completely seen and safe to be myself. I think that is where it started to really shift and heal and what gave me the power to really be myself and to start asking for what I need and that affected my relationship. (laughs) And then we we got the chance to start doing the work there. So it's like this domino effect that's just been set in motion. And it all started, I think, with finding the right support, the right people to surround me, because I often didn't felt understood or supported in a way. Because often in therapy, we speak about emotion regulation. And I often feel like, oh, yeah, that just frustrates me because this is what I'm feeling and it's heavy and I want it to be this heavy and I don't want us to like regulate and make it smaller and and no that that just no this is my feeling this is what I'm feeling right now I just want to jump into it and I want to let it be I don't want to be afraid of those feelings anymore because often in in therapy it's like oh she's overwhelmed and we need to make sure they stay within their window and then I feel like bleep the window just let it be and just hold me just create a safe space and just so that's been the massive shift for me I think that just everything is welcome and there's no judgment it's just compassion and like the deep trust that just expressing it often is enough just feeling it that that is all we need to do so sorry long story (laughs) No, I love that answer. That's so beautiful. I think it's spot on. That's exactly, exactly it. And I love that, that sense that when we receive compassion, when we receive connection and acknowledgement and understanding, when we feel safe, when we feel that we're not being judged and we can just connect in and be ourselves with whatever's there, 
We can just show up exactly as we are, which is what we offer our children, of course, how profound that is. And I love that distinction that you make as well between this idea, there's so much talk about emotional regulation, about teaching our children to calm down or or as adults, learning strategies to calm down and to calm our nervous systems and everything. But actually, that's just that doesn't compare at all with the calm that you experience when you go through these natural processes that Aletha Salter describes so beautifully in her books that are innate, powerful mechanisms that you just go through the process that you need to in order to fully release and, and to integrate these feelings. And then you're naturally calm. So it's not something you have to force. It's something that happens naturally if you're able to just follow these natural natural mechanisms. So I loved how you described that difference. It's so powerful. I just want to point out, I describe it really easy, but it hasn't been easy. <laughs> it hasn't been easy to really allow the feelings. I often still get frustrated like, oh, I can feel it now. Oh, it's gone. So like really really digging into it to really let it be there after years of years of suppressing it and not being able to cry or being told not to cry or don't to exaggerate it's really not that easy to get to a safe space where you can just yeah let it all come out so just wanted to (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, thank you for adding that because I think that's really helpful for people to hear because it's true that after years and years of of suppressing feelings, we can understand this intellectually, but it's quite a different thing to be doing it in practice, isn't it? And and often our children have resistance to expressing feelings too, particularly if if we are. And often clients say, oh, they just won't cry anymore. And I say, well, how about you? And they say, no, not so much. What have you what have you found helpful in that process in in slowly relearning to to connect with the feelings and to actually go there? Yeah, I think for me this is really interesting because this is like part of the workshop that I'm going to be uh, doing uh, in a couple of weeks. For me it was often like the just the slowing down and to really feel my body like kind of a, a meditation like focusing like exercise where I just feel my body and become aware of my body, just use that as an entrance and to just take all the time and the space to really feel my body. What do I feel? Where do I feel it? To really talk to it even, like, I see you. I'm here. You're here. You're safe. (laughs) Just to talk to it and to let it know that it is safe and sometimes I can feel it, sometimes not. And I think like the the next step when I'm connected to my body again and I can feel what is there or where it is, is like the inner dialogue. Uh, Instead of trying to fix it, trying to just make it go away, just really welcoming it and not trying to change anything, but just observe. and, And then with, it's kind of, I think that is where the Marian method for me comes in, like the inner loving presence says and the inner loving mother and the inner loving father and just see whatever member of the crew wants to be there or whatever I need. And just just last week, I felt like so stuck and I usually just go to my inner loving mother and now there was this inner loving father and I thought, oh, this is interesting and just start talking and listening back what... What is he saying? And that just often 
the right things that I need to hear come up and they just struck and hit and uh, then I can really sink into it. I really need to hear those words from other people almost really allow myself to feel it, to make it real, to feel heard. That's how I try to do it now, to really connect and feel. And so I think that's where for me the Mary method comes in and yeah, how I try to connect with it. It's the reparenting piece. There are no books about that yet. That's <laughs> So I try to translate the aware parenting to the reparenting, which is completely different, I think. Well, yes. I think it's so helpful when we allow it, we just give space to it, we welcome it, we surrender to it rather than resisting. And I love that, that sense of trust that the right thing just comes up exactly what you need to hear. And I, I found as well that as once I started really receiving this kind of compassion externally, it became easier and easier to be able to to do these processes, to tune in, to allow it, to to scan through my body, to to welcome the feelings that are there, and not to want things to go away. And it, it's a really different process now when really painful things come up for me, which of course they do often, frequently. It's much easier now for me to to welcome that and to to be curious and to be kind and to just see what's underneath it and to allow trusting that that it's it's going to shift it's going to it's going to be okay it's it's going to move but it's it's a really profound process and to be able to offer it to ourselves in the moment whenever anything comes up or if we can't do it then come back to it later that's really profoundly empowering isn't it yeah yeah it's it's been a game changer but I- as you said, I, I didn't do it alone. I had my mentoring with Marion. I had some empathy buddies, uh, some good friends who are really all uh, on the same you know, vision and uh, who know who, who know of aware parenting. And that just makes you know, the world of a difference just to be able to share something in a quick text or a voice memo and just to know that when they have time and space, they will answer me. Often it's not immediate, but I know they will answer and it will be helpful. And that that has been such a big deal of really receiving it, receiving the love and the compassion and the understanding and whatever it is, just receiving it as well and uh, doing it together. Yeah. 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 We absolutely can't do it on our own. It's, we really need to be having support along the way. Yeah. It's so profound. So let's get back to talking about how we're supporting the children then. One of the things I know you're really passionate about, hence the name of your Instagram, is around loving limits. Can you talk a little bit about what it is about that particular strategy that you love so much? I think for me, there was the first part where it was as well about the children as about myself. Because often we just see like oh they want this this is what they want and for with loving limits i really learned that often they're asking things that we're not willing to do or to give them so there's this their needs my needs and with loving limits i i found that there was a way to meet both of our of our needs and to i see it a bit different now but in the beginning that was yeah where it felt uh, yeah that, that was where it felt like that was the beginning to start and to 
finally let the tears out and to let yeah to really start looking behind the behavior really start looking behind their behaviors behind their control patterns behind my my own so i think that was what was really important for me to just looking behind the behavior and i think with loving limits that's what we often do we don't just see the behavior we don't try to uh, change the behavior it's not about the behavior the behavior is just a result a result of the feelings and the feelings of the needs and that was so important for me because as a psychologist, what we've learned was like punishments and rewards and conditioning and all of those things. But then I saw with my kids, I felt it. No, this isn't what I want, but I need a way to stop the things that don't feel pleasant to me. I need to find another way of disciplining my kids. I, I, I It's not about permissive parenting. It's It's completely different and loving limits gave me that anchor that you can be a loving parent and have limits so beautiful so powerful so amazing and I loved how you're describing that that it's an opportunity for us to to see that behavior is is always communicating something to us and if we just go into punishing a child when they're behaving away in a way that we don't like it's such a wasted opportunity to to understand them better and to be able to see what what's really going on and what they really need and how we can support them to to come back to being cooperative to come back to being loving Whereas when you you go in with a punishment, that that's all missed. Uh, but when you do go in with that understanding that behavior is communicating, then at the end of your that process, you have this deep, such a deep connection with your child. And it's just, yeah, it just ticks so many boxes. It's a really, really profound strategy. I find it incredibly helpful too. But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to be saying yes and no to our children at the same time. It's not easy to be checking in with ourselves, to be thinking, oh, what am I really willing for now? It's not easy to be thinking, oh, do they have feelings to release now? Or is this a legitimate need for autonomy or for something else? It's a it's a hard process to learn how to tease all those elements out, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to a friend about this a couple of days back, how how powerful the books are, how amazing the theory is. But when you are there in that moment, it's not all that clear anymore. <laughs> it's not all that easy. Often I've been there like really sitting on the bed and looking at my kid like, mm, what am I seeing? What are you trying to communicate? And even speaking this, I see you're having a difficult time. And I have no clue what you need right now. But I'm here and I'm listening. And okay, so what is it? This, okay, this is what I'm willing. This is what I'm not willing. There's a gray area, but this I'm sure already. And we'll see from here. Just like really have like a meta conversation in my head with myself, with him, with my kids, like... Ooh, what the heck is this? And just trying to, I have like these mantras I wrote down to have in my head at the moment, like, okay, I'm allowed to struggle. This reparenting thing is difficult. We are pioneers, like all of the things that can be really helpful at times when I think like, 
nope, this isn't working for me. This is too difficult. I can't do this. Like, okay, this is an experiment and we will observe and we will learn and then we will experiment again. And that is okay. And there is always healing, not to be afraid to experiment and try something. You're not going to ruin the kids and all of those things. Yeah, it's quite a lot. All the things that go through your head when you start doing this overwhelming at times it really is i was overwhelmed big part of last year yeah oh i think that's so helpful i loved that you were sharing those mantras and and that permission to experiment that permission to to trust that the healing's going to come that permission that we are just going to keep learning in this process and it, it's going to get easier and it's going to get clearer and even just those questions that you were saying you know what am i seeing what am I seeing? What's going on in front of me? What do I think my child might be trying to communicate to me? What might they be needing? And that we don't always have to get it right. We don't always have to know. But even just bringing that curiosity and starting with that perspective, we get there in the end. I really loved how you described that. Thank you. That's beautiful. So is there anything else that you would like to share about Loving Limits before we go on to talking about something else? Is there anything you'd love people to understand in addition to what we've said? I think what I have learned or what has been a big game changer for me that it's not about, but that is kind of the Merriam method. I don't know <laughs> if that applies here, but like, it's not about setting a limit, but it's like offering a limit and to really be very much aware that they are autonomous beings, that they want to cooperate and that it's really important to take their willingness into account as well. They're humans. And we can expect things from them. But often it doesn't matter for them to wear their sweater, brush their teeth. What do I care? Just to be really, really aware of what matters to me, what matters to them. What are they willing for? And for me like loving limits and attachment play they're like two sides of the spectrum they always go hand in hand for me so i think that is what was the biggest game changer for me learning how to create a safety through play and how that all just flows together and to really be aware and of their willingness as well mm. Yes, thank you for adding that. I think that's really helpful. I love that distinction too between offering a limit and setting a limit because offering is really about collaborating and working together, isn't it, and supporting each other, whereas whereas setting is very much about that power imbalance of the parent being the one in charge and, and so on. And I also really think it's so important to talk again and again and again about how vital it is for the vast majority of humans to have their needs met for autonomy and agency in the world, and particularly for children who are so often being told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, who, are, who don't have choice so many times every single day. And yet this, this is such a fundamental human need. And when it's not being met, it's so often the cause, cause of uh, challenging behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I often find it quite funny that when I read the three needs, like the autonomy, choice, and agency, I was like, what is agency? I don't know agency. That's an English word. Let's try to translate it into Dutch. And then not really finding a good translation and not really 
I really struggled with getting to grasp the concept of agency before I could see like, oh, so it's like sitting at the wheel of your own life that you have influence and just really the concept wasn't even clear to me. So when I talk to people now about agency, they're like, agency? Never heard of it. What agency? So like how, how big that is, that agency part, like. Wow, that's amazing. I love that you shared that because, I mean, I really want to acknowledge the fact that we're having this conversation in in your second language, maybe your third, actually. And and that, of course, a lot of these books you would have been reading in English, which was not in your first language either. And so that's really interesting that some of these core concepts may not even be translatable into into your language. And, And doesn't that say a lot that there isn't even a word for it? Yeah. I'm not sure. I didn't find it as uh, when I was looking it up, but I I actually also uh, love reading in English. I had this talk about uh, this with Marion like a couple of weeks back, how a big part of my inner dialogue actually is English, especially when it comes to emotions and all of those things. And we had like this little theory about it that when it comes to emotions in my home when I was younger, we didn't have a lot of talks around those things, but the places where I learned about emotions was often on TV and drama shows like uh, Dawson's Creek and then all of those things. And that's where I think I learned like the vocabulary of all the things, but it was in English. So when I go back into my journals when I was younger, it were all badly in English, but it's all English. So I think that was really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that's so interesting. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So you you spoke briefly about attachment play. That's obviously a really core concept of aware parenting and something that's amazingly helpful for our children. What what do you love about it? How do you use it with your children? What would you like to share about that? Hmm, attachment play. For me, it was like... Um... Also, like another missing puzzle piece when I started with Loving Limits, yeah, it wasn't happening. <laughs> there wasn't enough safety. So the the play and the laughter just brought in that safety and that connection. It is so powerful and something I've been missing in my life for quite a while because I was a psychologist and I had to be serious. And so the silliness was completely lost on me. and. Um, yeah, I've really seen the power of the attachment play in my kids. There are so many things. I think the first thing we started to do was rumble before bedtime, like just throwing them on the bed and then trying to push me off the bed. And now it's been transformed mostly into hide and seek. They really love hide and seek. They love the swing when I push them and they made up a little story that there's a wolf in the garden and I need to go look at for the wolf. And when I'm not looking, they kick me in my bum and I'm like, but what did that wolf do? Where's that wolf? So they're like, hee 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 all. And then, yeah, so often they just tell me what they want to play and what I need to do. And um, there are just so many things like putting on the the sunscreen. They both really hate it and my youngest uh, has made up like this uh, I'm the cream monster game and then try to catch me and then 
we have some giggles and then I'm said, and I'm going to make a tiger out of you. And I make like these stripes and then it's like, Hot! and he tries to bite me like, oh, there was a close one. There was a close, oh, try, I'm going to try to make another little stripe here and just, yeah, I just often get inspired looking at Instagram posts of other instructors who share little things like Nick Wilson. I'm like, oh, got to try this one or got to, yeah, just so amazing and the inspiration that just comes from ourselves and with the kids and how everything just flows so much easier it's yeah that's just so amazing mm. yeah it is it's so amazing and it's so amazing to have something to bring to parenthood that is fun and silly and light-hearted where there's laughter where it's just it's joyful actually isn't it it's really these joyful moments of connection with our children and it's because of these amazing different types of attachment play that Aletha has identified there's always something that we can do pretty much in any moment where we can bring laughter and fun and and healing and connection and safety in the family and that just makes everything better straight away for all of us for us as well as our children and i love i love how you were describing some of those games with your kids and you know just talking about it we're both sitting here with big smiles on our faces which is just it's so nice because often parenthood is is hard it's really hard work and sometimes it's really you know, when it's bringing up stuff for us and we're doing our healing work, sometimes it can feel really heavy and difficult. So yeah, it's really, it's really beautiful when we can bring that lightheartedness and fun to it. And, and I mean, my children now are 19 and 17 and we still mm. have all kinds of silliness and laughter and games and play. And yeah, my, my daughter and I will be every day pretty much will be being silly and laughing and having fun and being ridiculous and doing exactly the same kind of games as we used to do when she was little. But it's just such an incredible thing that it's it's us having fun, it's us laughing, and it's healing our children at the same time. It's, it's just amazing. But sometimes yeah. it's quite hard for us to to find that lighthearted, fun side to ourselves, maybe because life is really hard and stressful for of, often for many of us. And sometimes just because we lose touch with that, or maybe we weren't really played with when we were children, certainly not in these ways. How how do you support people to to find their their joyful side, their fun side, and get back into playing? Yeah. I think that is for me a difficult question because when i started with the attachment play i was doing it like oh this is something i need to do some other point on the list can list i need to check off and it has taken me quite some while to start to enjoy it myself so i think that is the most important thing i often say to parents like check in with yourself first do you have the spaciousness and check in with your needs i think there's this beautiful list in the attachment playbook uh, with alita from alita just to really uh, take care of themselves and their their needs first before going into the play and knowing that if you try to do it just to check off a list it's not going to work mm. Just to really be very much aware of that as well. And again, just to experiment. And often I just say, like, you don't have to structure this. Just follow your child. Just be present. Start with the non-directive child-centered play. And 
just see where it goes and and see whatever it is that you want to do try to make it's fun for you as well. If you don't like coloring, don't color. If you don't like building blocks, then don't start there. Start with something that's enjoyable for the both of you. And for us, it was often, I always said, I don't want to be a soccer mom. But I found out that just playing soccer with the boys was something I find more enjoyable than uh, building with them or doing games inside or board games. So, yeah, we just started playing soccer outside and, and in swimming pool and building sandcastles and just all the things I yeah I enjoyed doing. And I think that's something that is difficult for me to support others with because it's a process I'm, I'm still going through myself. But this is just what I share and where I, I start. Mm. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's so helpful when we get out of that mindset of thinking that, yeah, the attachment play is just another job. It's an, an extra thing that we have to do. And instead to just think, what, what do you love doing? What do your kids love doing? Go enjoy doing that together and just start there. Yeah. I like, like cooking and baking. Those are things that can turn into a game as well. It's really finding that sweet spot. Mm. Yeah. And the more you do it as well, the more you see how helpful it is for your kids, the more you see how fun it is. And then our kids start to invite us all the time to be coming into play and not in that, oh, mommy, play with me, play with me, play with me kind of game, but just being silly and being cheeky and being fun and, and bringing that laughter and that gorgeousness to us. So it, it's hard to resist when when they do that. One of the other things that people often find difficult with aware parenting is around navigating it to be doing things so differently to everybody else. And you were saying at the beginning when you first started, you couldn't believe that not everybody was doing this. But the reality is, even though it's growing, of course, there's not still not many people doing it. And often we're on the receiving end of judgments or, or criticisms from maybe it's somebody in our family or maybe it's someone out on the street or you know, how, how have you navigated that process? I think at the beginning, I just, yeah, I first looked for people who are already practicing aware parenting before I really uh, went outside uh, my safe space. And I've always just said, like, I believe this is helpful for me and my kids, and I'm just going to give it a try. I'm their mother. This is a decision I'm allowed to make, and others don't have to agree with me yeah I started talking about it and started talking to my mom about it and she said like this is difficult this is new this is but I felt that she was open to learning so that made a you know, huge change with other people I often found like they they weren't as open to it and then I it didn't feel safe for me to share more so I just did whatever I was doing. I didn't really get all that much criticism. I, I, I'm I trying to find like an example, but I think I'm glad I didn't get all that much um, pushback of what I'm doing. I think the most difficult thing is with my partner. Often it's the moms who start reading and start experimenting and the partners who are like, why are we doing this? What's this thing? And I I just find it very difficult because I just started on this thing 
by myself and then, oh, yeah, right, I need to include him into this. Just start to try to give him examples and doing all the things. And I think that was something I found difficult navigating because I'm new to it and I'm not really, I wasn't really clear in my explanations yet. And when you're new to it and you try to explain this to others, I often find that really difficult and, ah, no, that's not, ah, I'm getting really frustrated. So I think mostly I just looked for a community that does understand me and I haven't gotten all that much criticism on what I'm doing. I've felt in often, often in places that people don't understand what I'm doing, but I've never felt the need to explain or to convince them. I think that was one of the questions in like the Aware Parenting Mentoring course where I I discovered that when people are open, I would love to share about Aware Parenting, but when I feel that you're not open to it, it's just not my job. I'm just going to let you be and let you live and you'll be you and I'll be me and I'll be kind to you, <laughs> but I will get my wall up a little bit. I'll just keep myself and my family safe. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes when we first discover these things, we we can become so passionate about it. We just want to tell everyone. But yeah, I love that sense of just, you know, acknowledging that everybody's on their own journey and we just keep doing what, what works for us and what works for our family and offering compassion to others, but not trying to go out and, and convert everybody necessarily, even though there are times when we just want to scream it from the rooftops because we can see how powerful it is. Yeah. And just accepting that it's a gradual process for, for people to to slowly learn. But I think it's really helpful as well what you were sharing about your partner because it can that comes up so often in sessions with people that that it's hard with with a partner when one partner has really taken it on board and is exploring it and is passionate about it and loves it and the other one is is not doesn't really know much and and how hard it can be to to be face to face with other people's doubts and questions or your partner's doubts and questions as you're first learning this yourself so yeah that's part of the process isn't it mm-hmm. that's beautiful thank you mm-hmm. so i'm wondering if there's anything else that you would like to share before we start to finish off this conversation that we haven't spoken about yeah i think what i I'd like to tell parents, like often I get parents in my sessions, they say like, I'm barely surviving when I get through a phase, there's another phase and there's another phase, like the phases don't seem to stop. I would just like to tell them like, "Mm, there's another way. You don't have to barely hold on. You don't have to survive. There is a way to get all of your needs met and to even live and thrive. And yeah, it's just so important to be aware of all the feelings and all the needs of the children because often they end up in my practice, in my office. So I really find that where parenting is such a beautiful tool, such a beautiful way of preventing mental health problems in the long run. Just that is so important. Everything we can do as parents now, and hopefully in a couple of generations, I will be out of a job. But there's just just so important. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 
absolutely. It's so clear, isn't it? The vast majority of adults' struggles with their, and, and children too, and adolescents' struggles with their mental health come down to those early childhood experiences and accumulated feelings and stress and, and trauma held in their bodies. So, yeah, it's so clear. And I love that big picture part too, that how it can impact what we do in our homes impacts beyond our families and, and has a really significant shift. What a beautiful image to imagine in a few generations not needing therapists and psychologists. Mm. And yeah, amazing. So beautiful. Thank you. Mm. So how can people find out about you, Linda? How can people get in touch? Where do you share your work? Uh, most of my work I share on my Instagram, which is Loving Limits. And there I share stories, posts, reels. I go live every week, mostly. I love it when people come to me with questions or thoughts or just to share something. And I always love going into conversations with them and seeing their vision and I really love connecting there. So, yeah, that's my main hub. So I'll put those uh, links in the show notes. Thank you for that. And the last thing that I always ask my guests is, if you could go back to the beginning of parenthood with what you know now, what would you love to tell yourself or what would you have loved to have understood back then that you now know? Mm. I think if it's just one sentence, it would be, it's okay to cry. Just as simple as that for you, for your children. It's all okay how important it is to just yeah, make space for it and to be able to be sure to have space for them, have space for yourself. I think if I knew that back then, yeah, that would be such a massive shift. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, just one one thing maybe that like I often put the kids first. And then I learned about my needs and then, oh yeah, by the way, I do have a partner. So how important it is to like, to also really not lose track of your partner because that's part of your needs, a relationship, that support, to really find a way to be parents together, to be partners and not always let the kids come first, even though we love them and they are important, but we are as well. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I get a real sense of that balance, really, isn't it? That balance that we need for to to be tending to all parts of us and, and our partners too. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really beautiful too. Oh, I've enjoyed this conversation so much, Linda. Thank you. Thank you so much for making time to come and talk. I really love how you describe so many of the things that we've talked about today. I think it's incredibly helpful for people to be listening to this and I I really am so grateful for your time thank you I'm just so grateful for you for asking me I had the most wonderful time connecting in with you and ah no words just big thanks I just love that we get to have I just get, I have to get to have these beautiful conversations with people like every week about the thing that I'm most passionate about with other people who are also really passionate about it. 
I have this image and I know there's lots of people who were working together on it, but I just have this image of like all of us somehow getting together sometime and just I can mm. imagine the the rich and beautiful conversations that we would all have. Yum. Oh, that would be so amazing. Oh. Thank you so much, Linda. I look forward to connecting with you some, yes. somewhere else another time. Yes. Yes. Oh, I would love to. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.